Chapter Twenty Seven of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One, by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Twenty Seven. It is no diminution, but a recommendation of human nature, that in some instances passion gets the better of reason, and all that we can think is impotent against half of what we feel. Spectator Life is a mingled yarn. Few of its afflictions, but are accompanied with some alleviation, none of its blessings that do not bring some alloy. Like most other events that long have formed the object of yearning and almost hopeless wishes, and on which have been built the fairest structure of human felicity, the arrival of the young heir of Glenfern produced a less extraordinary degree of happiness than had been anticipated. The melancholy event which had marked the first ceremonial of his life had cast its gloom alike on all nearly connected with him, and when time had dispelled the clouds of recent mourning and restored the mourners to their habitual train of thought and action, somewhat of the novelty which had given him such lively interest in the hearts of the sisters had subsided. The distressing conviction, too, more and more, forced itself upon them that their advice and assistance were likely to be wholly overlooked in the nurture of the infant mind and management of the thriving frame of their little nephew. Their active energies, therefore, driven back to the accustomed channels after many murmurs and severe struggles, again revolved in the same sphere as before. True, they sighed and mourned for a time, but soon found occupation congenial to their nature in the little departments of life, dressing crepe, reviving black silk, converting narrow hems into broad hems, and in short, who so busy, who so important, as the ladies of Glenfern. As Madame de Stael, or de something, says, they fulfilled their destinies. Their walk lay amongst threads and pickles, their sphere extended from the garret to the pantry, and often as they sought to diverge from it, their instinct always led them to return to it, as the tract in which they were destined to move. There are creatures of the same sort in the male part of the creation, but it is foreign to my purpose to describe them at present. Neither are the trifling and insignificant of either sex to be treated with contempt, or looked upon as useless by those whom God has gifted with higher powers. In the arrangements of an all-wise providence there is nothing created in vain. Every link of the vast chain that embraces creation helps to hold together the various relations of life, and all is beautiful gradation, from the human vegetable to the glorious archangel. If patient hope, if unexulting joy and chastened anticipation, sanctifying a mother's love, could have secured her happiness, Mrs. Douglas would have found in the smiles of her infant all the comfort her virtue deserved. But she still had to drink of that cup of sweet and bitter which must bathe the lips of all who breathe the breath of life. While the instinct of a parent's love warmed her heart as she pressed her infant to her bosom, the sadness of affectionate and rational solicitude stifled every sentiment of pleasure as she gazed on the altered and drooping form of her adopted daughter. Of the child who had already repaid the cares that had been lavished on her, and in whom she decried the promise of a plenteous harvest from the good seed she had sown. Though Mary had been healthy in childhood, her constitution was naturally delicate, 
and she had laterally outgrown her strength. The shock she had sustained by her grandfather's death, thus operating on a weakened frame, had produced an effect apparently most alarming, and the effort she made to exert herself only served to exhaust her. She felt all the watchful solicitude, the tender anxieties of her aunt, and bitterly reproached herself with not better repaying these exertions for her happiness. A thousand times she tried to analyze and extirpate the saddening impression that weighed upon her heart. It is not sorrow, reasoned she with herself, that thus oppresses me, for though I reverenced my grandfather, yet the loss of his society has scarcely been felt by me. It cannot be fear, the fear of death, for my soul is not so abject as to confine its desires to this sublunary scene. What, then, is this mysterious dread that has taken possession of me? Why do I suffer my mind to suggest to me images of horror instead of visions of bliss? Why can I not, as formerly, picture to myself the beauty and the brightness of a soul casting off mortality? Why must the convulsed grasp, the stifled groan, the glaring eye forever come betwixt heaven and me? Alas, Mary was unskilled to answer. Hers was the season for feeling, not for reasoning. She knew not that hers was the struggle of imagination striving to maintain its ascendancy over reality. She had heard and read, and thought and talked of death, but it was of death in its fairest form, in its softest transition, and the veil had been abruptly torn from her eyes. The gloomy pass had suddenly disclosed itself before her, not strewn with flowers, but shrouded in horrors. Like all persons of sensibility, Mary had a disposition to view everything in a beau ideal. Whether that is a boon most fraught with good or ill, it were difficult to ascertain. While the delusion lasts, it is productive of pleasure to its possessor. But, oh, the thousand aches that heart is destined to endure which clings to the stability and relies on the permanency of earthly happiness. But the youthful heart must ever remain a stranger to this saddening truth. Experience only can convince us that happiness is not a plant of this world, and that, though many an eye hath beheld its blossoms, no mortal hand hath ever gathered its fruits. This, then, was Mary's first lesson in what is called the knowledge of life, as opposed to the beau ideal of a young and ardent imagination in love with life and luxuriating in its own happiness. And, upon such a mind, it could not fail of producing a powerful impression. The anguish Mrs. Douglas experienced as she witnessed the changing color, lifeless step, and forced smile of her darling elf was not mitigated by the good sense or sympathy of those around her. While Mary had prospered under her management, in the consciousness that she was fulfilling her duty to the best of her abilities, she could listen with placid cheerfulness to the broken hints of disapprobation, or forced good wishes for the success of her new-fangled schemes, that were leveled at her by the sisters. But now, when her cares seemed defeated, it was an additional thorn in her heart to have to endure the commonplace wisdom and self-gratulations of the almost exalting aunts. Not that they had the slightest intention of wounding the feelings of their niece, whom they really loved, but the temptation was irresistible of proving that they had been in the right and she in the wrong, especially as no such acknowledgment had yet been extorted from her. "'It is nonsense to ascribe Mary's dwining to her grandfather's death,' said Miss Jackie. "'We were all nearer to him in propinquity than she was, and none of our healths have suffered.' "'And there's his own daughters,' added Miss Grizzy who of course must have felt a great deal more than anybody else, there can be no doubt of that, 
such sensible creatures as them must feel a great deal but yet you see how they have got up their spirits i'm sure it's wonderful it shows their sense and the effects of education said miss jacky girls that sup their porridge will always cut a good figure quoth nicky with their fine feelings i'm sure we have all reason to be thankful that they have been blessed with such hearty stomachs observed miss grizzy if they had been delicate like poor mary's i'm sure i declare i don't know what we would have done for certainly they were all most dreadfully affected at their excellent father's death which was quite natural poor things i'm sure there's no pacifying poor baby and even yet neither bella nor betsy can bear to be left alone in a dark room tibby has to sleep with them still every night and a lighted candle too which is much to their credit and yet i'm sure it's not with reading i'm certain indeed i think there's no doubt of it that reading does young people much harm it puts things into their heads that never would have been there but for books i declare i think reading's a very dangerous thing i'm certain all mary's bad health is entirely owing to reading you know we always thought she read a great deal too much for her good much depends upon the choice of books said jacky with an air of the most profound wisdom fordyce's sermons and the history of scotland are two of the very few books i would put into the hands of a young woman our girls have read little else casting a look at mrs douglas who was calmly pursuing her work in the midst of this shower of darts all leveled at her to be sure returned grizzy it is a thousand pities that mary has been allowed to go on so long not i'm sure that any of us mean to reflect upon you my dear mrs douglas for of course it was all owing to your ignorance and inexperience and that you know you could not help for it is not your fault nobody can blame you i'm certain you would have done what is right if you had only known better but of course we must all know better than you because you know we are all a great deal older and especially lady maclaughlan who has the greatest experience in the diseases of old men especially and infants indeed it has been the study of her life almost for you know poor sir sampson is never well and i dare say if mary had taken some of her nice worm lozenges which certainly cured duncan macnab's wife's daughter's little girl of the jaundice and used that valuable growing embrocation which we are all sensible made baby great deal fatter i dare say there would have been nothing the matter with her to-day mary has been too much accustomed to spend both her time and money amongst idle vagrants said nicky economy of both subjoined jacky with an air of humility i confess i have ever been accustomed to consider as virtues these handsome respectable new bonnets looking from mrs douglas that our girls got just before their poor father's death were entirely the fruits of their own savings and i declare said grizzy who did not excel in innuendos i declare for my part although at the same time my dear niece i am certain you are far from intending it i really think it's very disrespectful to sir sampson and lady maclaughlan in anybody and especially such near neighbours to give more in charity than they do for you may be sure they give as much as they think proper and they must be the best judges and can afford to give what they please for sir sampson could buy and sell all of us a hundred times over if he liked it's long since the lochmarlie estate was called seven thousand a year and besides that there's the birkendale property and the glen mavis estate and i'm sure i can't tell you all what but there's no doubt he's a man of immense fortune 
well it was known and frequently was it discussed the iniquity of mary being allowed to waste her time and squander her money amongst the poor instead of being taught the practical virtues of making her own gowns and of hoarding up her pocket money for some selfish gratification in colloquies such as these day after day passed on without any visible improvement taking place in her health only one remedy suggested itself to mrs douglas and that was to remove her to the south of england for the winter milder air and change of scene she had no doubt would prove efficacious and her opinion was confirmed by that of the celebrated doctor who having been summoned to the laird of petalchas had paid a visit at glenfern on passant how so desirable an event was to be accomplished was the difficulty by the death of his father a variety of business and an extent of farming had devolved upon mr douglas which obliged him to fix his residence at glenfern and rendered it impossible for him to be long absent from it mrs douglas had engaged in the duties of a nurse to her little boy and to take him or leave him was equally out of the question in this dilemma the only resource that offered was that of sending mary for a few months to her mother true it was a painful necessity for mrs douglas seldom heard from her sister-in-law and when she did her letters were short and cold she sometimes desired a kiss to her mrs douglas's little girl and once in an extraordinary fit of good humour had actually sent a locket with her hair in a letter by post for which mrs douglas had to pay something more than the value of the present this was all that mary knew of her mother and the rest of her family were still greater strangers to her her father remained in a distant station in india and was seldom heard of her brother was gone to sea and though she had written repeatedly to her sister her letters remained unnoticed under these circumstances there was something revolting in the idea of obtruding mary upon the notice of her relations and trusting to their kindness even for a few months yet her health perhaps her life was at stake and mrs douglas felt she had scarcely a right to hesitate mary has perhaps been too long an alien from her own family said she to herself this will be a means of her becoming acquainted with them and of introducing her to that sphere in which she is probably destined to walk under her uncle's roof she will surely be safe and in the society of her mother and sister she cannot be unhappy new scenes will give stimulus to her mind the necessity of exertion will brace the languid faculties of her soul and in a few short months i trust will restore her to me such an even superior to what she was why then should i hesitate to do what my conscience tells me ought to be done alas it is because i selfishly shrink from the pain of separation and am unwilling to relinquish even for a season one of the many blessings heaven has bestowed upon me and mrs douglas noble and disinterested as ever rose superior to the weakness that she felt was besetting her mary listened to her communication with a throbbing heart and eyes suffused with tears to part from her aunt was agony but to behold her mother she to whom she owed her existence to embrace a sister too and one for whom she felt all those mysterious yearnings which twins are said to entertain towards each other oh there was rapture in the thought and mary's buoyant heart fluctuated between the extremes of anguish and delight the venerable sisters received the intelligence with much surprise they did not know very well what to say about it there was much to be said both for and against it lady maclaughlan had a high opinion of english air 
but then they had heard the morals of the people were not so good, and there were a great many dissipated young men in England, though to be sure there was no denying but the mineral waters were excellent, and in short it ended in Miss Grizzy sitting down to concoct an epistle to Lady Maclaughlan, in Miss Jackie's beginning to draw up a code of instructions for a young woman upon her entrance into life, and Miss Nicky hoping that if Mary did go, she would take care not to bring back any extravagant English notions with her. The younger set debated amongst themselves how many of them would be invited to accompany Mary to England, and from thence fell to disputing the possession of a brown hair trunk, with a flourish D in brass letters on the top. Mrs. Douglas, with repressed feelings, set about offering the sacrifice she had planned, and in a letter to Lady Juliana, descriptive of her daughter's situation, she sought to excite her tenderness without creating alarm. How far she succeeded will be seen hereafter. In the meantime, we must take a retrospective glance at the last seventeen years of her ladyship's life. End of chapter 27 Recording by Patty Cunningham